I get to stand up, we're going to read uh, God's Word together, so um, let's uh, go to Psalm 16. If you have your Bibles, uh, we'll look at Psalm chapter 16 this morning. The Mitcom of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may be seated. It's interesting, isn't it? At times we, uh, or you may not, but I do, at times I I tend to to mock those who are have a, a perceived life of shelter. You know, I tend to belittle those who are, are born with maybe a silver spoon on their mouth or are protected or are naive about uh, the real cost of living in this world. Um, those who will want for nothing and consistently receive all things with you know, very little effort, i.e. the, the, the 30-year-old male who's still at, still at home with mum, you know, you sort of uh, think, oh, that, that's all a bit too sheltered. You don't, you don't know life. You don't know what life is about. Mum still makes your lunch. Still makes your bed. Still does your washing. And you don't pay an ounce of board. You know the types? You know the types? <laughs> yeah, I know. We all know the types, don't we? And, and we think, oh, you're just so sheltered. Get in the real world and, 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 and understand what the, the real world is about. But it's really interesting, isn't it, as we look at today's psalm, as we look at Psalm 16. David's reflection and meditation is all about the positive aspects of having a sheltered life. A life sheltered by God. You see, David, in this meditation, reflects on the fact that God is his refuge. And he calls out to God to watch out for him. And when he reflects on this, this results in him reinvesting his commitments towards serving God. He cries out, you are my Lord and my Master. He acknowledges that all good things come from God's hand. 
He acknowledges that a godly, sheltered life in God is a contented life. Contentment that flows from a a complete understanding and satisfaction of who God is and, and what He does on a daily basis. God is not some distant deity. He is personal. He is close. Provides comfort. Provides contentment. And as he thinks through his commitment to this wonderful God and and the contentment that God provides to him results in a great confidence. A confidence of, of his security and position before his God. His confidence that the Lord will protect and provide. As we thought about our own issues in our own family this morning, realize afresh God protects and provides. He is ever gracious, ever merciful, and He loves you and I who put our faith and trust in Him so deeply. And that should provide great, great confidence. So as we consider the psalm together, consider these things in these three things in your own life. Are you committed to the Lord in the way David is? Are you contented in the things of God? And only satisfied with him? And are you confident that no matter what life throws at you, God is your shelter and your refuge? As we read Psalm 16, I had some PowerPoint slides here, but we've got some technical issues. I won't be showing those, but I'll be referring to, to them as we go through. We will note that Psalm 16 is in the first book of the Psalms. Remember last week we talked about the book of the Psalms is broken up into five books, one through five. And we have this composition of Psalm 16 in the midst of the the first book, which runs from Psalm 1 through to Psalm 41. You know, these five books of the Psalms, you know, it's one big book of 150 Psalms, but broken up into five segments, five books, uh, most likely show us Israel's history. Book one, which runs from Psalm 1 to 41, is during the reign of David. Book two, Psalm 42 to 72, is through the reign of Solomon. Book three, Psalm 73 to 89, is the reign of Jehoshaphat, and book four is the reign of Hezekiah, and finally book five, Psalm 107 through 150, is really after the Jewish nation had come back from exile. And the great songs and poems produced by many different people. Who was the major writer of the Psalms? David. How many did he write? 73, that are superscribed with his name. He may have written more because there are some anonymous ones, but he wrote 73 
of these psalms. It's interesting that um, in Jewish tradition, they, they, they say that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament to outline the way people should worship, but David, he wrote five books of the Psalms. And uh, David, in effect, was Israel's Mozart. Instead of uh, having you know, festivals and practices and activities that, that, that showed worship, David put the thing into song. and setting up a new form of worship within the temple. In this particular first book, David wrote 37 of the 41 psalms, so over half the psalms he wrote are contained in the very first part of the psalms. We don't know when he wrote Psalm 16. We have no idea. We don't have a historical marker in here. It could have been any time in his life. And as you read through the psalm, you can say, oh yeah, that could be perhaps when David was being chased by Saul. Or that could be during his ongoing fight with his son Absalom. That could be when he was embittered in distress over his sin with Bathsheba. Or that could be as he sits back in his kingdom and and sees God's blessing overflowing for all. We don't know when he wrote this time. We don't know if it's a time of peace or a time of trouble. But I think as you reflect on the psalm, you realize this is a psalm that could fit into any part of one's life as you sit back and reflect on who God is. See, unlike last week when we looked at Psalm 94, we had this very, very strong lament and, and uh, strong lament against the wicked. This one here is a very restful psalm. Very restful indeed. Look at the very first verse, and the very first verse is his prayer. And this really frames the whole psalm. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What a wonderful acknowledgement and prayer that, that is here. You could also translate this, Watch over me, O God, for I have taken refuge in you. Or you could say, Guard me, O God, for I shelter in you. David's meditating upon God. He's thinking about his God and he prays, God, watch over me. Guard me. Preserve me. Exercise great care over me. And as he considers this prayer, as he, 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 he meditates, we'll see that this will fuel David's commitment, it will fuel David's contentment, and it will fuel David's confidence. It's interesting in that opening sentence of the prayer, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Refuge is all about shelter. 
It's interesting, most English translations, we don't really know how to translate the last phrase. For in you I take refuge, or I have taken shelter in you. It's a tense in a word that's kind of unusual. We find it really hard in English to, to say, okay, it's something that's happened in the past, but it continues to happen. Isn't that a beautiful thought? God provides shelter. Past tense, but he continues to provide refuge and shelter. You think what David really is doing with this one line of prayer is this he is pondering what anchors him as opposed to what alarms him. I'll say that again. David is pondering what anchors him as opposed to what alarms him. And naturally, as you think through that, you think through what David's doing, you need to ask the question yourself, what anchors you? What are the things that provide security for you? What are the truths that provide certainty in the life for you? I would hope for you as a believer, it's, it's those promises of God that you continue to look at. You continue to understand that you are in Christ. And I know sometimes you can get a little bit hard-hearted in that, right? And sometimes we can become more focused on our own securities. whether that's material, whether it's physical, whether it's intellectual, as opposed to actually saying, no, in you, O oh God, I take my shelter. You may even not know God. You may not be able to cry out this prayer. You may not be able to say, O oh God, in you I take my refuge. Your heart may be hardened towards the things of God. Your heart may even question whether God exists. You may only be here because this is what you do on Sunday. Cry out to God to reveal himself to you because he is the only one that satisfies. Don't make this just a religious practice week in, week out. Cry out to be transformed by Christ. Cry out to repent of your sin and to understand afresh what it means to be a child of God. David's response was he believes in God. And he believes that God will watch over him. And he believes God will protect him and shelter him. And this results in, in some actions. And we see a, a recommitment by David in verses 2 through to 4. And the commitment can be decided, sort of correlated in two ways. 
He begins with the most basic and yet most significant commitment in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I say to Yahweh, you are Adonai, if you want to go back to the Hebrew. Two different names for God with significant understanding. I say to the one who is the promise keeper, the one who is the I am, you are my master. You are my Lord. He confesses his commitment to God. You are my guiding light. You are my captain of my ship. You are the master and Lord. And then secondly, in that second part of the the, the, the verse, I have no good apart from you. So not only is God his master and his Lord, God is his complete sufficiency. I have no good apart from you. Every good thing I have comes from you. That's what he's essentially saying. You are my all in all. You are my complete sufficiency. What a wonderful commitment, isn't it? So when you make those sorts of commitments, you live in the light of those commitments, right? You're my master, my Lord, and I have every good thing. Nothing good in my life is apart from you. Just a a quick observation here. Whenever you're studying a psalm, I just want to pass on a bit of an observation here. Always look for the different names of God. Very easy in English, right? How many names of God do we have in the psalm? Three. We have verse one, preserve me, O God. General name for God, L. General name for God. In verse two, we have the next two. I say to you, Lord, which is always Yahweh, You are my Lord, Adonai. And in verse 5, 7, and 8, he continues with Yahweh. You could also translate translate Yahweh this way, and I think we should do this more often. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was before the burning bush, you remember that story, right? Moses was before the burning bush, and he can't work out what's going on. And he asks... God, who shall I say is sending me? I.e. going back to the nation, going back to, to Israel to bring him out of slavery. What was God's answer? Say to them, I am. I am is sending you, and my name is I am. We could rightfully, every time we see... So David delights in the fact that the I am is his master... He delights in the fact and he's committed to the fact that no good thing is apart from him. And he also says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He also states the fact that his commitment is to find satisfaction amongst God's people. If you delight in God, then you will delight in his people. And that's really hard when you've got a New Zealander talking to you about that. 
But this is the reality, right? If you're a follower of Christ, you delight in the people of God. You are brothers and sisters in Him. And David outlines this principle. For those saints who are dwelling in the land, I will delight in them because I delight in you, O God. This is the the gospel in action. See, a love for Christ equals a love for his people. It means that you don't stop meeting together in the fellowship of his people. And it also means, as verse 4 says, you will separate yourself from godlessness and pagan worship. Verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. It's part of David's commitment in this psalm. He's saying, I will love God's people, but I also will separate myself from those who are godless, for those who are going after false worship. Separate myself from practices of paganism. Why does he do that? Because he knows that those people have no faith in God. He knows that they have no faith in the promises of God and he knows that the wicked's pains only increase. Notice that in that verse? The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. He knows that their pain increases. He knows there's no satisfaction. There's no contentment. We've all seen this, haven't we? When we have folks in and around our fellowship and then slowly they start separating themselves from meeting with God's people. It's a bit like the parable that Jesus talked about the seed falling on the thorny ground where the worries and the cares of the world consume them. It doesn't take long when you stop meeting with God's people that you're led into sorrow. You're led away from the worship of Christ. You're led away from God's people. So a sheltered life here, this first stanza is a life that calls out to God to watch over you and for him to be your refuge and it's a life that finds a commitment that is solely towards I am. He is your master and he is sufficient in all things. And you're also to cling to God's people for encouragement and to intentionally renounce all other forms of worship. That's what David's heart is here. That's what his commitment is to Yahweh. And then it follows that after this commitment, there is great contentment. 
The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant place. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Verses 5 through 7. Contentment flows from David in two ways. It flows from David in that he is satisfied in the Lord. And notice who the Lord is to David. He is his chosen portion and his cup. I can't help but think of Jesus and John. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Jesus also said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The claims of Jesus and John is that, that he gives living water from which you never thirst and that he is the bread of life from which you never become dissatisfied for eternity. Jesus used two physical present things to, to communicate a spiritual reality. David does the same thing. Who is David's cup and portion? It's God. He is the bread of life. He is living water. And that's great contentment. So his satisfaction is in the Lord, verse 5 and 6. And, and one other part of his contentment is that his contentment always flows from the direction that God gives him. The direction that he receives from God. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel and the night also my heart instructs me. This contentment flows from the counsel he receives. His direction and counsel. God's word is delight to David's soul. We read that elsewhere. You go right to the start of Psalms. Psalm chapter 1, we'll see this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's David's delight and his, his, his satisfaction here and his contentment is that he meditates upon God's word, his very words. He receives direction and counsel. And yes, that direction and counsel can come in the middle of the night, according to David. You know those nights when you, you lie in bed and you wrestle and your, 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 your thought patterns just go all AWOL? Maybe that's God realigning your thoughts for his purposes. It's really interesting because verse 7 literally reads this. Even in the night times, my kidneys instruct me. Okay? The word that we have there is really quite interesting. The word we have there in um, verse 7, we translate my heart instructs me, is actually the word for kidneys. My kidneys instruct me. So this doesn't mean that your kidneys are now all of a sudden becoming your educator. But he's using this term to, to, to let you know and to, to render where a person's deepest thoughts and conscience comes from. 
It's well known during these times that the human organ, the kidney, was associated with vast emotions. If you just did a quick word search on kidney in the Old Testament, you'd come up to see it creates joy and deepest agony. Proverbs 23.15 and Psalm 73.21. Even the Babylonians understood this. In their writings, the Babylonians said this, the right kidney counsels what is good, the left kidney what is evil. That's what they thought about the kidney. So there you go. But the important thing here is the fact that David thanks the Lord for his counsel through his word. He takes his word and ponders on it, chews on it, especially during the night. It's interesting, this week in in my men's small group, um, we discussed this. We discussed how does God guide us? Same thing, how do we take counsel? How does God guide us? Because there's all sorts of things going on amongst Christians to say this is how God guides us. There's confusion among what it means to be guided by God. We sort of say, well, we take the Holy Spirit guides us and, and that's it. We think in terms of the inward prompting of the Holy Spirit, then that's the only way we think about God's guidance. We have a really unbalanced view, really unbalanced view. Because the Holy Spirit always guides through the prompting of the written word of God. This is what's known as illumination. J.R.R. Packer says this, Guidance is the mode by which our rational creator gives his rational creatures by rational understanding an application of his written word. Which is empowered and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Put that on that side because that's what it is. Folks, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God leads within the limits with which the Word sets. If you want to know how the Holy Spirit guides you, the limits are set by God's Word. He does not guide beyond the limits of His Word. He guides me in paths of righteousness, but not anywhere else. Another great quote from J.R. Packer. Contentment, therefore, is satisfaction in the Lord and direction from the Lord. Finally, we're out of time. Final two minutes. David shows his confidence in his God. His confidence. And his confidence even in death. We'll get to the heart of the matter here in Psalm 16, verse 9 and 10. He says, You, O God, will not abandon my soul to the grave or to Sheol. I had a wonderful friend in seminary. I've got to say this. Julie's going to laugh at this. We had to do an Old Testament paper on different things, and she chose to do an Old Testament paper on Sheol. The title of the paper was Sheol. What the hell is it? (laughs) Try to decide whether she was the hell or was it death or whether it was just a pit, right? It's death. You know, abandon my soul to death or let your Holy One see corruption. Your Holy One there is not talking about David, it's actually talking about the future son of David, Jesus Christ. And you get that from Acts chapter 2. And Peter stands up and says, hey, David died but his son 
rose again and he gives eternal life. He is the resurrection and the life. And that provides great confidence. That's where our security lies in the fact that Christ has said he is the resurrection and life and we one day will be raised with him. So in this beautiful psalm, you have David affirming his faith in God to shelter him. You have David affirming his commitment to God to provide him all good things. You have him affirming that his commitment is to those who love God. You have his contentment in the fact that God is his cup and his portion. And that he guides and counsels through his word. And this provides great confidence that death has no hold on those who have trust in Christ. Jesus affirms he is the resurrection and life. Just as God's favoured one, Jesus did not see decay and triumph over death. Then all belong, who belong to Jesus can have assurance of victory on the face of death. You'll not be shaken by death if you have faith in Christ because Jesus has conquered it on your behalf. Therefore, a godly sheltered life isn't a shameful thing, but a marvellous matter. If your life is sheltered in Christ, he will be your portion and he will be your security. What a wonderful thing to consider. Watch over me, O God, for in you I shelter. May that be your experience today. We won't have our final song. We'll just close in prayer and get into the rest of our activities. So I'll give you a, a moment or two just to think through that in silent prayer to our wonderful God. Father God, we thank you for this just beautiful psalm of David. Father, we thank you he prayed in an incredibly reflective manner which shows us that you are awesome. You are a God who watches over us. You're a God who we can shelter in. You're a God who gives contentment to our souls. You're a God who gives us great confidence because your very son has conquered death. And we will too because of the faith we have in him. We thank you for this beautiful reminder of your character, of your love, of your grace, and of your mercy. Pray these things in the powerful name of Christ, our risen Lord.